Welcome to Nomadicate, a podcast all about exploring how different cultures, things, ideas, and even people shape and define our lives and our world. You're listening to your host, Katie DeVille, and today we're going to be talking about Barbie. Well, not just Barbie. Since the Barbie movie was announced, everyone has been obsessed with Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, the color pink, and what Barbie the toy itself symbolizes. If we think of Barbie, we tend to think of the perfect woman. And while it was typically a tall white blonde, now Mattel and society have purposely shifted the narrative. Barbie now has various careers and represents various shapes and ethnicities, promoting inclusion and body positivity. And that's great, but that's not what this episode is about. There's been so much positive hype about the movie and its cultural significance, even after it's been released, that it's been overshadowing the reality of Mattel's, and therefore Barbie's, environmental footprint. I haven't seen the movie yet, so maybe it touches on this. But in this episode, I'm going to play devil's advocate. We're going to take a quick look into Barbie's history, dive into Mattel's current promise of sustainability, and then investigate whether or not trendy jargon like recyclable, recyclable materials, and bioplastics are actually misleading consumers into increasing the waste and pollution crisis. Then we're going to explore spiritual minimalism and how we can declutter our inner world, therefore our surroundings. Thanks for dropping into Nomadicate, and thanks for choosing to be a global citizen. If you liked my previous episode, please consider leaving a review. Okay, here we go. Let's dive in. We've all heard of Madonna's song, Material Girl, and the lyrics, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world, life in plastic, it's fantastic, or something like that. And I'm not going to sing it. But we all know that Barbie is made out of plastic, and plastic is just generally bad for the environment. According to the article, Plastic Toys Have a Greater Impact on the Environment Than We Thought, written by Andrew Krafowski, 90% of toys are made from plastic, and 80% of toys are thrown into the trash. While some of it goes to landfills, some toys get burned, releasing toxic chemicals and carbon into the atmosphere. The rest end up floating in the ocean. That's kind of scary to think about, and nobody is really talking about it. And why would most adults without kids even think about this? Never have I ever wondered about how many Barbies have been produced and how many have been thrown away. I've been too busy thinking about plastic bags and trying to remember to use my reusable water bottle. And since I'm 24, there hasn't been really any reason for me to buy a Barbie or even think about Barbies since I was like eight. But anyway, let's start with the questions. How many Barbies are there in the world? And how did Barbie even get started? According to Sydney Hartman's article, This Day in History, Mattel sold over 1 billion, 1 billion Barbie dolls across the world since 1959. Ruth Handler, the creator of Barbie, was inspired after seeing her daughter, Barbara, play with adult paper dolls. Before Barbie, adult dolls didn't really exist in American children's play world. And Ruth believed this concept would be a popular product for the American consumer. With the help of her husband and Mattel, Handler brought Barbie to life, using a German adult novelty toy named Lily as the model. In the Times article, the Barbie dolls not for kids' origins, 
Jennifer Lotson explains that Lily was originally a sexually uninhibited comic strip character that was eventually converted into a doll. This Barbie predecessor was originally sold in adult-themed toy stores, tobacco shops, and bars. According to Robin Gerber, the author of the book Barbie and Ruth, Lily dolls were given as gag gifts among men, given to girlfriends as suggestive gifts, and often dangled on the rearview mirror in cars. Because Lily had multiple outfits, the doll leader became popular among girls and started being sold, marketed, and used as a children's toy. While 1 billion Barbies have been sold worldwide, I wonder how many have been produced since 1959. Because surely, not every Barbie produced has made it or makes it to retail. In production, not every doll can turn out perfect. I'm sure a lot of them had flaws that made them unsellable. And before recycling incentives, I wonder how much plastic just got tossed out right off the bat. Unfortunately, I couldn't find an answer on this. But just imagining that number is difficult because it's massive. It's a massive number in reality. But to be fair, Mattel has been making really ambitious strides towards sustainability. But is it really as good as it seems? The answer is no. No, it's not. I'm so sorry to break the news. In 2021, Mattel launched the playback program. In the article Barbie Wants to Recycle Old Barbies, Tiffany Duong explains that the program incentivizes parents and caregivers to ship back old toys by offering them free shipping. Mattel then promises to sort and separate by material type, processing, and recycling what can be recycled. The rest is either converted from waste to energy or downcycled into other plastic products. Mattel markets this as a guilt-free solution to buying their products, and they claim that it inches toward a circular economy. A circular economy, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is founded upon the idea of reusing and regenerating materials or productions, especially as a means of continuing production in a sustainable or environmentally conscious way. While this is a good start, the playback program and Mattel's other incentives, which I'll talk about in a second, aren't perfect solutions to the plastic problem. In my opinion, these eco-friendly promises are misleading and actually promote mass and unnecessary consumerism. I really doubt the majority of parents and caregivers are going to take time out of their day to print out a free shipping label, box up a toy, and have it shipped to Mattel. According to the article, only about 9% of plastic ever created has been recycled. 9%. That is so incredibly depressing. Also, in addition to being toxic to produce, plastic can take forever to break down, as we already know. The author reminds us that Lego bricks can survive up to 1,300 years in the ocean, negatively affecting marine life. The 2022 CBS News article entitled Plastic Recycling, a Failed Concept, reports that only about 5% of plastic waste generated by American households were recycled. (sighs) That's only 2.5 million tons out of 51 million tons. As listed on the official Barbie website, Mattel has also promised to have 100% recycled, recyclable, or bio-based plastic materials in their products by 2030. In 2021, Mattel released a new collection called Barbie Loves the Ocean, 
offering Barbie dolls made entirely out of plastic that would have otherwise ended up in the ocean. Off the bat, this is ear-catching and super appealing to the modern consumer, especially parents who want their kids to have some type of empathy for the environment. It's like large-scale companies are seeing the error of their ways and yay, there's finally a solution to waste and pollution. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. Since we've had a green wave where people are demanding products to be more environmentally friendly, it's almost necessary and definitely beneficial for companies like Mattel to think about how they can make their products sustainable. It's just good business to ride on cultural trends. So let's break down Mattel's promise of going green by 2030, and let's investigate if this is just a band-aid over a burst faucet. Useless. Okay, let's start out with recycled Barbies. As of today, Mattel sells around 60 million Barbie dolls per year. Since the film's release, that number is going to get larger. And that's great for Mattel, but not really for the world. According to the article in A Barbie World, Alan Pierce argues that every one of those dolls taxes the environment by emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. As a result of producing, manufacturing, and transporting these dolls, Pear states that around 660 grams of carbon emissions are released. That's more CO2 than a car emits per mile. And we all know that recycling is better for the environment. According to Connecticut's Department of Energy and Environmental Protection's website, producing new plastic from recycled material uses only two-thirds of the energy required to manufacture it from raw materials. While Mattel's sustainability oath seems promising, here's why I'm skeptical. First of all, Mattel's main factories are located abroad. According to Mattel's official 2022 annual report, Mattel's principal factories are located in China, Indonesia, Malaysia, Mexico, and Thailand. Mattel claims having multiple facilities across various countries helps to keep the supply chain flowing, regardless of political and civil unrest, natural disasters, pandemics, among other risks. While using recycled material seems to directly save energy during production, which I guess it does, the forgotten factor is transportation, which is the U.S.'s largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. According to Hannah Ritchie, in her article Cars, Planes, and Trains, transport is responsible for one-fifth of global CO2 emissions. I called Mattel's customer service to inquire about Playback's recycling centers, and the representative told me that it's based in New York. Customers send their old products there, where they are then processed. I can imagine that after, those processed materials are shipped to various factories, most likely across the world, to produce new Barbies or other toys. The environmental toll of Mattel's transportation is most likely massively significant, and Playback is just one program. In Mattel's promise, they committed to using more recycled material by 2030. But where is the material coming from? How far do they have to ship it for the material to get made into products? I guess more energy is being saved than if recycled materials weren't being used. But if Mattel is so concerned about the environment, then they really should take transportation into account. Some would argue that making Barbies out of recycled materials, or making them recyclable, is good for reducing waste. But it's only as effective if the consumer is committed to recycling. A huge portion of Barbies, 
and other Mattel products are still going to end up in landfills and the ocean. So Mattel's new collection of Barbie Loves the Ocean is a little bit hypocritical, don't you think? And super misleading. It makes caregivers and kids feel like they're doing something really important by buying and playing with the product, but they're just promoting endless and wasteful consumerism unless it's carried through to the recycling stage again. And the question is, will people recycle? The statistics aren't promising. Also, recycling is expensive for companies because there's more processing involved such as sorting, so I don't know if Mattel is actually going to be able to keep their promise. Mattel also mentioned bio-based plastic materials. What exactly are they, and what does that mean for sustainability? I did a little digging, and here's what I found. Kyo Dor, a reporter and supervisor editor for DW Planet A's YouTube channel, gives us an explanation about bioplastics and whether or not they're truly environmentally friendly. Bioplastics are made from plants, such as sugarcane, cassava, or potatoes, and they mimic conventional plastic in aesthetic and function. The strong point of this material is that it pollutes less than traditional petroleum-based plastics. In the video, Leah Ford, a marketing and sustainability leader for NatureWorks, was interviewed. NatureWorks is a bioplastic manufacturer, and Ford states that bioplastics produce two-thirds to three-quarters less carbon per pound at the factory gate compared to regular petroleum-based plastics. As of 2021, bioplastics only make up 1% of global plastics. However, Dor explains that not all bioplastics are biodegradable as we often think they are. Ramash Padamati, a chemist and associate professor at Trinity College, was also interviewed. He argues that the biodegradability of bioplastics can be similar to fossil-based plastics due to their chemical composition. Dora gives the example of ethylene and ethanol. Ethylene is a chemical compound derived from petroleum, and it's later formed into a longer and more stable, durable chemical compound called polyethylene, also known as PE. This is the most commonly produced plastic, and it's very hard to break up, so it's considered non-biodegradable. But get this, ethanol, an alcohol which is considered a bio-based material, can produce the exact same structure of polyethylene. So while it's bio-based, it still makes non-biodegradable plastic. Silly, right? According to Dorer, around 45% of all bioplastics are non-biodegradable. Coca-Cola, for example, uses bioplastics, but they aren't biodegradable. And for the bioplastics that are compostable, they have to be composted under specific conditions in order for them to decay. Padamati argues that bioplastics have to be collected and sent to industrial composting centers for the bioplastics to be broken down. They just can't be simply tossed out. Also, industrial composting centers aren't common, and they often won't take bioplastics because they can't tell them apart from the conventional plastics. Because of this, we could end up having the exact same problems as we've had before with waste and pollution. In addition to all of this, Dora explains that plants from bioplastics can leave a massive environmental footprint on their own. They demand a lot of water to produce, leave a significant carbon footprint, and divert crops away from food sources. In the video, Dora provides one study that says if we replaced all plastic food packaging with bioplastic, we'd have to use 54% of the global corn production. Uh, we kind of need our corn to, like, eat. 
So, as a company, Mattel is making a solid effort to become more sustainable, but jargon such as recyclable and recycled base materials, as well as bioplastics, often tricks consumers into thinking they're helping in the environmental crisis. But we're not really. In a way, consumers are making it worse. By demanding so-called environmentally friendly products, companies are going to start rebranding themselves as sustainable. This increase in demand is most likely going to cause an increase in supply. But unless products are truly environmentally friendly and consumers take responsibility to properly recycle and compost plastic, these sustainable alternatives being made are still going to cause waste. And while alternative plastics are more energy efficient, they're still leaving a carbon footprint. So what's the answer? Well, it's complicated. I would say ban all plastics, but that's not going to happen. Plastic is cheap to make and good for profits, so it's not going to go away anytime soon. Also, in a world where plastic was banned, that wouldn't be great for the economy because companies would have to shut down, leaving millions of people without jobs. This sounds bleak, but we actually do have a lot of power to become more sustainable as a society. We just have to reset our thinking and train ourselves to consume less, less of the unnecessary. And this is where minimalism and spiritual minimalism come into play. When I was living in Los Angeles, I would often go to the Santa Monica boardwalk and just people watch because LA has every type of person imaginable. But one day I decided to grab my camera and just take pictures. When I got to the boardwalk, I quickly spotted Mike. Mike was an elderly retired man sitting outside his RV in the parking lot. He had two lawn chairs and two pink plastic flamingos perched in front of a small table. He was sitting down, eating chips and dip, and sophisticatedly drinking grape juice out of a wine glass. Mike was really cool, and I needed to take his picture. I went up and asked if I could photograph him, and he was happy to pose. After a while, we started talking about life, and he gave me a little bit of wisdom. He told me that life was partially about chipping away anything that doesn't create a beautiful picture. It's about eliminating, one by one, things that don't bring value to our lives. This is a good starting point for minimalism. Minimalism is this kind of less is more mentality, where simplicity is the ultimate elegance. And the importance of simple living has been around for a hot second. Seneca, a Stoic philosopher of ancient Rome, said it's not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more who is poor. Socrates, an ancient Greek philosopher, also noted the importance of minimalism. He said, The secret of happiness, you see, is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. Principles of minimalism can be found in ancient religions such as Buddhism. But the beauty of minimalism is that it forces us to notice waste. And it's not just good for the environment, but it's good for our minds and our wallets. It forces us to notice how many things are indulgent. For example, fast food and to-go coffee. Rather than getting meals and coffee to go, it's better to eat at home. Every time I grab something to go, I cringe a little knowing how much waste I created in one purchase. The bag, the wrappers, and the containers. I also remember all the groceries I bought sitting in my fridge. Maybe this sounds cheap or extreme, but you can really save a lot of resources just by eliminating what's unnecessary. 
So how do we start practicing minimalism? Well, I think it all begins with this inward-out approach, also known as spiritual minimalism. By cultivating a sense of peace from within, a focused presence with whatever you're doing, you'll start to see how your life will become decluttered. Spiritual minimalism was coined by Light Watkins, a meditation master and spiritual teacher. After graduating from Howard University, he briefly worked in advertising. After quitting and deciding to travel for a while, in the late 90s, he then began working as a model in New York. During his downtime, he began dabbling in yoga and meditation. In 2007, he resigned from modeling and began working as a full-time yoga instructor in Los Angeles. Watkins has become a world-renowned speaker regarding meditation and spirituality, and he's written various books. One of his latest books is called Travel Light, where he talks about spiritual minimalism. This book was inspired by his decision in 2018 to move out of his apartment and into a single backpack. While I don't believe in putting all my faith in spiritual teachers, I think spiritual minimalism has a lot to offer because we can't really have a decluttered life if we haven't done the work internally. Although I haven't read his book yet, there are seven principles of spiritual minimalism as outlined by Watkins in the YouTube video, How to Live More by Owning Less. Watkins says to become spiritual minimalist, we should follow the principle of making decisions with our heart. And to make decisions with our heart, we have to foster the heart's voice, that inner guide that aligns with our ideals and values. We often forget to listen to that voice, and we have to tune back into what it's saying. Then, we shouldn't treat life if there were throwaway moments. He argues that there isn't a hierarchy of moments in life. Whether we have bad or good experiences, we should view all moments in time as opportunities to connect deeper with life. He then states that everything requires an exchange of some sort whether it's energy, money, or time, and we have to give what we'd like to receive. The fifth principle is following curiosity, which is my favorite. Watkins claims if we follow our curiosity, our path and our purpose will appear without having to specifically look for them. The sixth principle is finding comfort in discomfort, because there will always be difficult periods in life, And if we're resistant or avoidant to challenges, we're going to overlook opportunities for growth. The seventh principle is to find beauty in the freedom of choicelessness, which sounds off-putting at first, but I get what he's saying. Sometimes we will find ourselves in situations where we only have one choice or we think we have one choice. Maybe we're in a situation that isn't ideal when compared to other people's lives. However, he argues that we should accept the path and view it as an opportunity. Once we accept that we only have this one choice, he says we'll feel free and be able to be more productive working with what we have. While I personally think we always have a choice, sometimes I think it's better to accept a setback. I once heard Greta Gerwig in an interview, actually for the Barbie movie, and she said the problem is the path. That was a very revolutionary statement for me because I spend so much time of my life avoiding problems, but some problems you just can't avoid. And if you try to get around them, you just end up wasting your energy trying to escape rather than tackling the problems face on. So I definitely get what Watkins is saying. 
The essence of minimalism is to do more with less, according to Watkins. And minimalism is a very important tool to fight waste and pollution in the world. While I kind of picked on Mattel, plastic production is a worldwide issue. The plastic crisis really shows how indulgent humans are, and sustainable plastic alternatives aren't a true fix to waste and pollution. This isn't backed by science, but my theory is that humans have this hoarding mentality, which might have been evolutionarily beneficial when we were living in primitive conditions, like early on in our history. But come on, we have the most available resources that we've ever had before. Do we really need to make endless purchases just for fun? All of these products are most likely going to end up in the trash. So in sum, consume less. And while I'm not a child expert, I think it'd be better for parents and caregivers to educate about the environmental impact of plastic toys to their kids, teach them about conscious consumerism, and even find other methods of play that don't involve plastic. The situation is complicated, but I do salute Mattel for making an effort to become more sustainable. In addition to governments putting pressure on corporations to find more environmentally friendly solutions, consumers also need to educate themselves about the reality of these sustainable alternatives in order to not be misled. We as consumers need to lower consumption rates and commit to expanding the life cycle of products. So here's my end of the episode challenge. Just notice. Just notice with every single purchase you make how much waste is being created. Think about what it took to produce that item and question if you or anybody else is going to recycle it. Also, on a side note, not to hate on the Barbie movie, but just think about how much waste was created on that film set. Okay, that's all my thoughts. With that being said, that concludes our episode. If you like this episode, please consider leaving a review. Also, don't forget to find Nomadicate on Instagram at nomadicate underscore podcast. Again, you're listening to Nomadicate, and I'm your host, Katie DeVille. Thank you for joining me today, and subscribe if you want to take your global citizenship to the next level and learn even more about our beautiful big world and some of the things and people that influence it. Thanks for being a global citizen, and thanks for tuning in. Bye for now, and remember to stay curious.